Hello, I'm Dr. Matthew Stanford, and welcome to episode two of the Madness and Grace podcast. Today, we'll be discussing the church's role in mental health care. How are you doing today, Emily? Good. How are you today? I'm good. It's a little cold outside, but hopefully uh, things are going to turn around. Yeah, I'm trying to stay warm, but... Absolutely. Well, we can jump right in if you're ready, and I'm really excited to talk about this. It's super important. So... You know, I was reading in an article recently written by Howard Kleinbell, which I'm sure you're familiar with this article, that the clergy and the churches are in a position to uniquely provide a number of major services relevant to both the care of the mentally ill and the promotion of mental health. What makes churches uniquely positioned, in your opinion, and what services do you think churches could be providing or should be providing? You know, that's a great question, and that's a very good quote. I mean, I think that, uh, uh, number one, I don't think people really understand how well-positioned churches are. So, number one, just like we talked about in the first episode, uh, people in psychological distress are more likely to go to a clergy, to a minister, pastor, priest, uh, before they go to a mental health care provider or a physician. So, so really, just in the context of the continuum of care that we think about, uh, that's really the entry point. For, the, for most people with a mental health problem before they ever engage the mental health care system. Right. And unfortunately, since we know a lot, a majority of people with mental health problems never receive any treatment, we know that those people aren't getting referred uh, or connected to the actual system. And so, so you know, there's also a church on every corner. Right. Uh, there's a church in every town. Uh, and in some towns, the church is where you go to get all kinds of assistance. And so logistically, you know, kind of philosophically, you know, spiritually, they are in a great position to help out people with mental health problems. But then there's that second part of the question, and that is, what do you really expect them to be able to do? I mean, I think in some sense, we we expect pastors particularly to be able to do anything. You know, we want to go in there and ask the guy how to fix your marriage or how yeah. to, you know, fix your car. I mean, it's, you know, they want, you want to go in there and ask them anything, like they have some kind of you know, magical incantation they can come up with. And uh, I think we don't want to try to burden uh, ministry staff with saying, well, you need to be uh, a mini therapist or something. And so uh, what I would say is we need uh, to raise the awareness and education level because we know these people are coming. Uh, that's just a fact. It doesn't matter what kind of church you go to. 70 years worth of data shows that they're more likely to come there before they are to come to our clinic. Right. Uh, and so, you know, what we tend to like to do here at the Hope and Healing Center, kind of my thinking on this is I, I like to talk about the four R's, uh, you know, that I think that uh, someone in a faith community needs to be able to recognize a mental health care problem. They need to be able to make a referral. Mm-hmm. Uh, they need to be able to relate to someone in distress. Uh, and they need to be able to offer some kind of restorative program process um, guidance for that individual as they recover. Sure. Yeah. And I like what you said about relating to the person. And I think that the reason people come to churches or come to clergy first is they're afraid of being turned away. They don't have insurance. They don't have money. Where's the first free place I can go that I can talk to somebody and having someone there that can relate to what's going on. I think that's really important. And I also like what you said about how we're not expecting clergy to be a therapist. That's a huge ask. You know, they're not, you know, trained professionals, but instead of a therapist, more of a first responder to the yeah, crisis. Sometimes I like to use the term gatekeeper. Yeah. They're, they're yeah. like a gatekeeper because mm-hmm. uh, when a first responder, that's another great way because that's where someone goes first. 
Uh, and if you think about that, the church then is an entry point yeah. into the mental health care system, but also a point where a person can be connected to a healing community right. that can help them recover. Uh, the church has a lot to do beyond just recognizing and referring. Right. Yeah. So how do we get people in the church to be a healing community and to have that discussion about mental health and not make it feel so stigmatized? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think, you know, part of the problem is I, I think in our churches today, and again, these are just my thoughts from working with churches, so I don't mean to upset anybody. I think right. what we've done in the church is we, we've we tended to try to kind of isolate ourselves so much from the world around us in some way to protect us uh, from what goes on in the world. And, and in doing that, what we've done is we've removed ourselves from virtually everything except what we consider spiritual. Sure. And so... Our, our thought a lot of times is people come to the church for spiritual things, mm-hmm. spiritual needs, spiritual issues. Uh, and we don't realize that in some sense, everything is spiritual. And, and we've been called as a, as a body to, uh, to help one another, to bear one another's burdens, to serve those that are in need, to help the least of these. Uh, you know, the Good Samaritan is our greatest you know, example that Jesus gives us in that story I mean, those are physical needs that this man has, and and he goes out of his way to care for him. Uh, And mental needs are no different. And so I think what we need to do as as a church is we need to step back and we need to say, hey, how can I engage individuals in the community? What are the needs that I see in the community? I'm not saying that people don't need the gospel. Of course they do. But what an opportunity when someone is struggling with a mental health problem to step into their their struggle to say, uh, we can offer you some support, assistance, and guidance. And in building that relationship and that trust, you now have an opportunity to share uh, the love of Christ with that individual. And, you know, in this situation, it's it's particularly interesting because they're coming to us. It's, it's you know, I'm we don't go out and train churches how to recruit people mm-hmm. to come in with mental health care problems. Right. We train churches on how to better minister to individuals that are already showing up or already in your congregation, right. uh, because that's what the data shows. They're already coming. So it's not an issue of whether you you should do it. We right. need to do it. Uh, and if your church isn't open to it right now, they're just missing yeah. an opportunity that's that God's really laid out before them. Definitely. You know, in our last episode, uh, I recall a story you told about how you heard an individual speaking saying, I don't think mental illness is real because it's not in the Bible. It's not explicitly defined in the Bible. Can you recall any instances in the Bible that you think kind of represent someone going through some sort of mental health crisis or, you know, something that might not be explicitly mental illness, but we can look at and take from? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, I'm the first to say it's difficult to look at you know, historical documents or ancient literature and and say, well, this person has X. But you certainly can see in that uh, when people struggle with different types of things. I mean, you know, one of the things that I know from the Bible is that clearly mental illness or what what at the time they would refer to as madness or something like that clearly existed both in Old Testament times and New Testament times because it's mentioned over and over and over. Right. And if you look at the Old Testament, uh, you know, the, the story I like to point to the most is uh, David 
uh, King David is running from Saul. Saul is hunting him uh, because he's jealous. And so he goes to the Philistine land. He tries to hide out amongst his enemies. But knowing that the Philistines will kill him because they see him as a great enemy, he feigns madness. He, yeah. he messes up his hair and he kind of tears at his clothes and he drools all over himself and he's scratching on the outside of the gate and mm-hmm. you know, making some sounds. And when he's you know, kind of caught or found by the soldiers, they take him to the king. And the king basically, the Philistine king, and the king says, look, I don't, don't you think I have enough madmen in my kingdom? Yeah. I don't need, you know, I don't need him. Get right. rid of him, you know? Yeah. Because, and, and what that story tells us, I mean, David isn't, doesn't have madness. He's feigning, he's faking madness. Yeah. It shows us that that type of behavior, which probably would have been psychosis or, mm-hmm. or some kind of, uh, developmental issue, cognitive issue, was so common in the day that you would recognize it just by seeing it. Right. Uh, so it wasn't, an, I mean, the king, David didn't say, I'm mad. Yeah. He, the king knew he was mad. The men knew he was mad. It also shows that they understood that people that were in, you know, having these types of issues or displaying these kinds of behaviors were, um, were not in their right mind because yeah. otherwise... The king would have taken David prisoner and he would have held him up as a trophy. And he knew that no one would see capturing a person that was mentally ill as right. a you know, great, brave thing. So, right. so that is clear in the Old Testament. By the time we get, you know, in the, in the Old Testament, mental illness or badness is seen as a kind of a divine punishment. Right. By the time we get to the New Testament and, and the time of Jesus, uh, mental illness or madness is basically equated with demonic possession. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and so you'll see it often linked. In fact, on four occasions in the gospel, uh, Jesus is it isn't he, he is said to be mad yeah. and demon possessed uh, because of the things that he uh, is saying is so contrary or outside of what the the leadership of the day uh, in that in that faith community were saying or understanding. And so so they actually see him as that. And so. You know, you can look at, uh, you know, any number of, of individuals. Obviously, Jeremiah and David both struggled tremendously with depression. Right. I mean, David's descriptions of his depressive states and the Psalms, in essence, something that you would see from a modern client yeah. who had depression. Uh, you know, we see cases of suicide. Yeah. Um, you know, and so, you know, it, it is throughout the scriptures. Right. Uh now they don't call it mental illness, and, and they weren't thinking about it that way. The the you know br- the term brain never occurs in the Bible. Right. Uh, they had no idea what your brain did, but that doesn't mean they weren't trying to describe these right. behaviors. So you know the other thing we can look at is we know that historically and, and culturally, mental illness has existed throughout time. Yeah. And it's existed in every culture that's ever lived. Yeah. On the earth, including all those that are there now, and so sometimes. Those cultures call it different things, but it still exists. It's extreme behaviors, extreme thoughts right. that are that are outside the control of the individual. Uh, and we know through modern science that those things are caused by a combination of of kind of biological vulnerabilities that we're born with mm-hmm. and environmental stressors that we're exposed to. But that's not to say that there aren't spiritual components because right. we are spiritual beings. And mm-hmm. so everything that we deal with has a spiritual aspect to yeah. it. Uh, and we should think about it that way, but we shouldn't over-spiritualize the situation. 
Right. And I think that's good for Christians and believers because a lot of the time, whether you're a preacher, whether you're just someone who lives by the book, you take all of those values and lessons from that book. So I think to be able to recognize it there while still, and I'm quoting you from the last episode as well, while still recognizing, you know, God provides therapists, God provides help. Um, You're not going against God by also believing in the science. And I think that can also be something people might think, well, if I believe in the science of it, am I going against God? You know, not at all. And I think that, uh, you know, I mean, science grew out of, grew out of faith. Uh, And so um, most of the original scientists were devout people of faith. And I think that we kind of set up this debate between faith and science. And unfortunately, you know, where that damages people is when we're dealing with things like mental health and medicine and things like that. So, you know, I I know that, you know, surveys of pastors say that over 70% of pastors say they feel inadequately trained to recognize mental health care problems in those that they counsel or in their congregants. Yeah. Uh, you know, all of these statistics just kind of run together after time. We know people are going to churches first. We know that clergy don't feel adequately trained. We know that very few clergy ever make referrals. We know that clergy don't have connections to the mental health care system. Um, you know, we know that few mental health care providers know any clergy at all. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, it, you know, in the context of their of their practice. And so, you know, we what we have to do is we have to kind of see what's laid out before us. And, you know, I think that's why, you know, the training that we need to offer to pastors and ministry staff and lay leaders and lay counselors is, is more of an awareness and education training where they really are, as you said, that kind of that first responder that says, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm trying to work with this person here. They may have lost a job. They may be struggling with a marital issue, whatever it may be but I'm noticing a mental health issue and that may be what the core of this is. And now I know how to connect them to some professional care. Doesn't mean they're not going to keep meeting with me. Doesn't mean that I can't offer them something important. Right. It just means that we need to bring a mental health care professional in. Uh, and then as, as we mentioned earlier, relating, you know, when I, mm-hmm. when I say relate to someone in distress, I, what I'm talking about is, you know, being able to deescalate a situation when yeah. somebody gets agitated being able to deal with a crisis situation, being able to handle a panic attack or extreme anxiety in somebody, you know, how to help them calm down, do a suicide assessment. I mean, those are simple things that, that we can train anyone to be able to do in a, in a faith community setting uh, and do all the time. So I, I think that what a lot of times people in faith communities think is that when this conversation you and I are having right now, when mm-hmm. they hear that, they think, oh, well, they want me to learn how to diagnose people. Right. And when you go through our training, you're never going to hear about diagnosis because diagnosis is for the is for the provider, right. for the professional. Uh, you know, awareness and recognition is for the, the first responder. And so, you know, I think we've gotten it to a point where people understand it. But I also think and, and this kind of gets back to your second question about how do you get faith communities involved? I think yeah. the mistake that's been made in the past is that secular groups like the um, the mental health uh, section of the federal government, SAMHSA and organizations like that have recognized that they need to train faith communities and they've gone in and they wanted to do that training, but they go in uh, kind of in a, in a very sterile 
science-oriented way. Yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with science, but they right. they never use the language of faith. Right. And I think when you're in a faith community, people are interested in things of the spirit. Right. And they want to understand how this all fits in with their faith and how they minister and things like that. And I think, again, I think that's what the difference is in the kind of training that we're trying to do and what I think has been done in the past is that we do speak the language of faith uh, and we can help people kind of kind of integrate those together in a way that they feel more comfortable. Right, instead of having them be two completely separate things. And they're not. I yeah. mean, they really aren't. And, and, you know, a lot of times, you know, I'll just use the example of physical illnesses. Uh, not that mental health isn't a physical illness, because it is. But, right. you know, someone comes to a church and says, you know, I've been diagnosed with cancer, and I'm, you know, it's I'm, I'm falling apart. Can you help me? Yeah. Well, they don't know anything about cancer. Right. They, you know, they're not oncologists. Yeah. But they, they know how to provide spiritual comfort and mm-hmm. care. They know how to provide for physical needs. You know, mm-hmm. they, they get you on a on a meal train where people bring in meals. They can come by and mow your grass. Like, I mean, they, they can do a lot to relieve stress in your daily life and to kind of help build your spiritual life and be present with you to offer support. Mm-hmm. Um but they don't know anything about cancer. Right. And so you don't need to know anything about mental health problems. You just need to know that we've been called to care for people right. when they're in distress, when they're struggling. Right. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think that is the way we should approach it. Don't approach it as, a, well, it's mental health issues. I don't know anything about that. You don't know anything about cancer. You don't know anything about diabetes. You don't know anything about whatever. All you know is that you need to be there for the person right. and wrap your arms around them. What right? would you want yeah. if you were struggling? And don't don't do anything different for somebody that has a mental health problem. Just do what you already do yeah. for other people. And, and that will make a huge, huge difference. Yeah. And I think, you know, we can look at something like cancer or something like an illness and see it on that person physically. They may right. look different. They may, yeah, they may just look different than what you used to know them as, whereas a lot of people call mental illness kind of like the invisible illness. So I think just recognizing that you don't have to physically see a difference in somebody to know that they're struggling and that Absolutely. they need help. Yeah. yeah, you you know, they don't have to have some, you know, big lump on their back. Right. You know, that you can tell they have an infection or cancer and that, you know, they can have, they can look perfectly well on the outside and be dying on the inside. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mental, untreated mental illness, serious mental illness is it, to some extent terminal because yeah. more than 90% of people who die by suicide at the time of their death are struggling with a mental health problem. So, so this is dangerous stuff, and, yeah. and, but the church has an incredible opportunity and we're not talking about something that costs a lot of extra money. Yeah. We're not even talking about something that really requires a lot of extra people. Just have the people that already engage your congregants, that engage people that come to your church, just have them trained to be aware, to be able to recognize and these things that we've talked about. Uh, and it's transformative for a community, absolutely transformative. They're already coming. Yeah. We just have to be prepared to receive them. Yeah. Having a plan is key, I would say. Right. You don't make the plan when they're in your office. Right. Exactly. These are things you have to do ahead of time. Uh, And there's a lot of great resources out there. And, uh, you know, I hope that we at the Hope and Healing Center are doing our part to kind of provide those as well. But there's lots of great organizations that are providing this kind of stuff. I just think that, you know, I think the pandemic has kind of brought all this stuff really kind of home for everybody. Right. And I think churches are starting to recognize that, you know, kind of two things. One is that... uh, as a church, the big C church, 
we've uh, we've gotten at least in the West, we've gotten too centralized in that you know the church building is the church. Yeah. And you have to come there to do church or receive anything. Yeah. Uh, and we realized during the pandemic, a centralized church just doesn't work well. And uh, number two, I think we we were recognizing that the people in our congregations. They're struggling with mm-hmm. the same kind of issues that everyone is struggling with. Uh, and we need to be more transparent. Uh, and the community is desperate for assistance mm-hmm. that, that the world has not been able to offer them. And we need to be more transparent as individuals, but we also need to be more proactive in saying, hey, you have a problem. Well, we want to help you. Yeah. And we want to help you the best we can. Uh, and we want to help you because God has called us to help you. Right. And I think that uh, that makes the church become relevant uh, to everyone. Yeah. Uh, and it gives us that opportunity and that relationship to share the the good news yeah. and uh, the good news that is so much better than someone just helping you with a symptom, right. but a good news that uh, affects you eternally. Yeah, definitely. So, Matt. Talking about all of this and equipping clergy and leaders and churches to respond, what do you see for the future in terms of churches, not just in Houston, not just in Texas, but what's the vision for, you know, like you said, the capital C church for mental health? Yeah, you know, I I have seen um, more of a conversation over the last two decades. I mean, there was a time where, you know, I felt like I was just a lone guy going church to church trying to get people to talk about this. And now, you know, more people do talk about it because there's been a lot of great voices out there uh, that have been been helping out. And so that's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, I think that uh, I'm seeing more churches that are open uh, to offering things like support groups and, and, and things like that. So those are good. I haven't seen a lot of actual movement in a lot of sure. those things, but there's a more there's a greater openness. And and I really do honestly believe that mental health is the kind of mission field of the 21st century, particularly trauma. Mm-hmm. I think that trauma is a, something that everyone talks about. Trauma is, is prevalent uh, in our society. And uh, I think that is a great uh, open door for the church to uh, not only you know, impact people's lives here in the U.S., but to, to use that in a, in a mission yeah. way of, around the world. Uh, and so I really do see, you know, over the next decade or two, churches becoming more actively involved in these types of things and really becoming uh, the front door to the mental health care system. Yeah, that's our vision for our Gateway to Hope program. And obviously this episode is about the church's role, but we also offer this training in schools. That's a big place where kids especially are the first person they would think to go to if they maybe don't have a great home life. And sometimes it's hard to go to a parent about a problem that you have Absolutely. and um, might feel easier to talk to a teacher or someone in administration. Um, so yeah, our Gateway to Hope program, we're doing this in churches, schools, and now workplaces. So lots of really exciting stuff that, you know, this network is just going to keep growing and growing. So yeah, absolutely. And if you're interested in that, if you're interested in uh, connecting with our Gateway to Hope training, uh, you're in a, in a faith community or, or school or a workplace, we do it in the workplace as well. You just go to mentalhealthgateway.org uh, and you can access all of our training there, uh, both our, our empower training, which is kind of what we've been talking about today, our support group training or mental health coach training. Uh, and all that is that is free. You can uh, download the curricula there as well. Lots of great resources there uh, for people that want to learn about mental illness or are looking for services. And also, if you'd like to know more about the Hope and Healing Center and Institute, which is in Houston, Texas, you can go to our website, hhci.org, and then we have a lot of information there 
about us. And so in our upcoming episodes, we have some great guests. Uh, in our, uh, our next episode, we'll be talking to Dr. Gregory Jantz, uh, who runs a fantastic uh, treatment facility of uh, the Northwest. And we'll be talking to him about depression, looking at that from both a clinical uh, and a, a kind of a biblical perspective. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, I'm excited too. I can't wait to engage in meaningful discussion with all of our guests that we have coming up. I'm going to leave all of that information we just talked about in our show notes as well. So if you're listening, um, you can find it there. Also, we're going to be recording some Q&A type episodes coming up soon. So if you're listening and you have a question, you know, something, it can be a personal question, something going on in your life, or if you're just curious about um, something related to mental health, you can send in questions to contact at hhci.org. And you might just hear me and Matt talk about whatever question you send in. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, me too. Well, thank you, Matt. And thank thank you everyone for listening. Great.